Good morning, everybody. I feel uh, a little more alive than I did at 9 o'clock. You know, when we first started coming, one of the draws to Calvary Chapel was they had an 11 o'clock service. That was awesome. I don't, we didn't think it was actually physically possible for us to arrive at 9 o'clock. We did it today. That was, that's great. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's true. Won't you be my neighbor? Any Mr. Rogers fans here? We'll sing the song later. Actually, I've never watched Mr. Rogers in my life. Uh, so I don't really know how it goes, but you can sing it for me. Um, <clears throat> so today, I get the privilege of talking about loving your neighbor, <clears throat> because that is something the Lord has instructed us to do and modeled for us, and my hope is that you will be inspired to do that. Uh, if you aren't already, I assume that many of you already are loving your neighbors, and that's wonderful. And so uh, I just would want to encourage you to do that a little bit more or continue doing that. I'm going to share a little bit of our story of how we got here, where we're at, our heart for loving our neighbors, and then share a little bit in the Word, and then give you some practical ideas of how you might be able to step out into loving your neighbor if maybe you're having a bit of a challenging time doing that. Um, I grew up in Steinbeck, so I have some history here. But I spent most of, from 2000 to 2015 in Alberta, uh, attending and working at the college, and uh, met Marla there, had our children there. Uh, the, the primary role that I played, which I actually wasn't even hired on for at the college, was business administrator. And uh, so after a few years of doing that, I wanted to go to school, so I started a Bachelor of Commerce degree. I'm still working on. And during that time, we felt that it was time for us to move. We lived in a small house. We had five children, all in one bedroom. Two on a bunk, a bed here, one in a bed here, one in a bed there, and one on the floor on a mattress. It was a little crowded. And uh, my role at the college was kind of done. I was still involved volunteering with various different things. And... On our hearts was a desire to connect with people beyond the borders of the college. We lived on a beautiful campus, um, 80 acres, seven miles from the closest town. Uh, and so I loved my neighbors, but I also worked with them or I taught them or whatever. So it was, we did everything together. And so I would come home from work and Marla would be like, let's go visit so-and-so. And I'm like, I just spent all day with him. Not that he was a bad guy or anything, but you know. Um, it was the same people that you work with and neighbors and so on. So we were just wrestling with how do we connect with community? So during this time that we were considering moving, we were open to moving anywhere. And um, we looked kind of all over Canada and had the Lord moved us somewhere else, that would have been okay too. And then through a series of confirmations, one being actual signs in the heavens, which Marla can tell you about, um, the Lord made it very clear that we were to move here to Manitoba, to this area. And um, I, I, I love it here, but I wrestled with that because I thought, well, if, if I was God, which I'm not, in which you're all thankful that I'm not, if I was God, why would I move more Christians to Steinbeck? There's, 
not, not that that's a bad thing, but there's many other places in the world that need a witness. That, you know, um, harvesters to go out into the harvest, right? There's plenty enough Christians in Slimeback to make a substantial difference in, in this area and in the world. And not to say that people aren't. Um, I just wondered, why would the Lord send us here? So we moved here. He never actually told us why we should move here. But when we moved, we decided we're going to move with purpose. We want to be a blessing wherever we end up. And so we're going to be intentional about connecting with people, intentional about uh, meeting our neighbors and trying to be a blessing uh, in the area that we live. So we found a house in Otterburn. Um, not, there wasn't any actual particular draw to move to Otterburn other than we found a, a house that we could afford because uh, the market isn't booming there. Although they did build a new house in Otterburn this last year. So <laughs> that was exciting. That's been the, the news for the last four months. <laughs> anyway, so, <clears throat> uh, so we moved to Otterburn. And the first day we were there, we saw neighbors out in their yard. So we went over and we said hi to them, introduced ourselves. And, and she brought us over some food, which was awesome. So we thought, well, let's introduce ourselves to more people. Maybe we'll get more food. Um, hasn't really happened. But uh, no, we wanted to connect with our neighbors. So we introduced ourselves. Uh, we have great relationships with those people now. And through the course of the little over a year and a half that we've lived in Otterburn, we've been able to connect with, uh, I would say, over a third of uh, the households that live in Otterburn in some way, shape, or form. Some uh, we have closer relationships to than others. Um, but it's been great. Um, there's about 65 households there, not counting the, the Bible College uh, housing. And uh, at Christmas time, we went around and we delivered... 23 or something like that goodies to different households in the community that people that we had connected with um, and since then we've connected with even more even just yesterday i came home i'd, I'd been working elsewhere and and marla said yeah i went went for a walk had a good good neighbor day today i met these people and then i saw these people and you know these people i hadn't met before and and so on and so it's just been a good time of connecting with with people there's a few things that are um Maybe obvious, but things that, that we've either discovered or, or just really encountered when we've been connecting with our neighbors. The first is just stepping outside of your house is a great way to develop connections. Staying inside of your house isn't a great way to develop connections with your, your neighbors. I mean, unless you want to call them on the phone or something, I don't know. But stepping outside of your house, people like to go outside sometimes. And it's a good way to bump into somebody and introduce yourself. We live in a house um, that's a very old house. The basement is new. The house, I think, was built in the late 40s. Um, 1840s, that is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's an old house. And uh, we live right beside the Catholic Church. Our house actually used to be where the priests lived. It also used to be the credit union in town. I haven't discovered any safes or vaults or anywhere yet, but I'm still looking. Um, so we lived beside the, the Catholic Church, and we moved there, and I thought, hey, I'm going to go to the Catholic Church. Check it out. So they have their Mass from 9.30 to 10.30, and we have service here at 11 o'clock. I thought, this is perfect. So, I, uh, so what I often do is, it doesn't always work like today, um, but I'll go to the the Catholic service. And so the first time I went there, I, I mean, I kind of assumed it, but it's all in French. 
Um, and I'm not very good at French. My last name is Enns. And uh, so it's just, I, I'm okay at French, but um, it's, a lot of it is reading, which is a lot easier to understand than, than uh, just trying to pick up the, the words. Um, but anyway, so I go there, and I, it's a great way to connect with people. I've been able to develop uh, connections with a bunch of people. The choir director, director asked me to sing with the choir, and I'm like, my French is not so good. You probably don't want me singing up there. They did sing an English song, though, the one time. I was quite impressed. Um, I had the chance to meet the priest. In fact, the, uh, the choir director, I had an opportunity to pray for him the other day. He had some health issues going on and asked him if, he could, if I could pray for him. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And um, so it's been really good. Um, another thing about talking to people is that people generally like to talk about themselves, especially if you show interest. So... If you want to go and meet somebody, and you're like, ah, I don't know what to say, and you know, I'm, you know, I just I don't have the words or whatever, just ask questions. They love to talk about themselves. You, most of you probably like to talk about yourself. If somebody's interested in you, hey, how was how was your week? No, really, how was it? Oh man, it was this and that. Oh really? Oh man. You know, you're when when you see that somebody's interested in you, you're willing to share. Often, there's some things that take a little more time to to share, but. But people like to talk about themselves. So you go to somebody and, and, you know, ask them what their name is. Where do you live? I live in the brown house. We live in the greenhouse. Ours is the one with the, the trampoline and all the toys all over the yard. Ours, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Right. Um, where do you work? What do you do for fun? What are your, what are your summer vacation plans? Just ask questions. Uh, people like to, like to talk about themselves. So when you're showing interest and you're asking these questions, what will often happen, assuming the conversation continues, is that eventually someone will share a challenge that they are going through in life of some sort. Um, and so in our conversations, some of these people that we've, we've connected with, we haven't had extensive conversations uh, with, with some of them, some of them more so, but we've come across many, many different challenges that our neighbors have, have been experiencing. Um, there's this couple, their grandchild has cancer, and he's, what, 18 months or something? Maybe two years now? Um, there is uh, there's a, a person who they've been disowned by their family because they became a Christian. Um, there's concern of parents of their children's spiritual well-being. There's someone who has a brain tumor. There's um, other physical issues, um, prostate cancer. Uh, lack of work. Um, someone we just met the other day, their landlord is selling the house, so they need to move, and they don't know where to move. Um, and they just started school, and they're like, I don't know how to do this. How do I afford this? I don't know what's going on. And so people will start to share some of the issues that they're, they're going through. And as, as you show that you care, they know that they can come to you for support or, or whatever. Uh, a few months ago, I'll just share one story. A few months ago, our neighbors, the husband's mother passed away, and uh, she was fairly elderly, so it, it wasn't a big surprise. Um, so as they they were processing um, her passing and grieving that and planning the funeral, there was a lot of difficult family dynamics that were going on uh, with the siblings. Um, and so it was the husband's mom that died, but the, the wife... Um, was having a really hard time with what was going on. 
And so one one evening she came over, and uh, they come over fairly regularly. Um, she came over and, and uh, just started sharing, kind of pouring out her heart and all this. And she shared that she had gone to the church and and uh, been told to go and talk to this administrator. They'll get all the funeral things figured out. And there was there was really no pastoral support and care through this process. And 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 then the family dynamics and all that. It was really hard for her. And so I, I just said, you know what? Can we just pray for you? And and she said, you know, that's actually why I came over. I wanted to ask if, if you would pray for me and for us. And, and so, um, you know, just showing interest, showing care, loving your neighbor. The Lord opens opportunities to minister to needs that exist among our neighbors. And uh, what a great opportunity to be able to pray. Um, you know, and that's one of those situations where, like, they, they attend the Catholic Church. And that's one of the situations where you're like, okay, Jesus, this is one of those prayers where you really have to answer this one. Because <laughs> this, one, this one really matters. You know, not like the other prayers don't, but... But it's like, you know, this would be great for them to see, you know, that prayer works, right? And uh, sure enough, you know, we had prayed about a particular situation the next day, and the Lord just brought peace to that situation, and uh, and it was good. And so so we were grateful for that. And we've had other opportunities to, to minister and pray to, uh, pray with our, our neighbors. We haven't uh, led a lot of Otterburnites to the Lord. And in fact, none at this point that we're aware of. And but yet, our faith is an integral part of who we are and what we do. It's not something we hide. It's not like okay, I'm going to wait, wait to try to develop relationship with him, and then I'll tell him I'm a Christian. You know, kind of just jump it on him, right? That's that's not how we we work. Our faith is is who we are. You know, if we try to hide that, it's just it hides who we are, right? And uh, and not that we felt the need to do that, but because we have the Lord living in us and through us, um, it just comes out. And so uh, in our conversation, um, people, know, people know that we, uh, we love the Lord. I'm an introvert, so I don't, uh, I don't know if, uh, if it's natural so much for me to just go out and, and uh, meet new people. Um, I'm okay with just going into my basement and reading and studying and thinking. Um, when we drive to Alberta, we often go through the night, and I can just think about something for like three hours, and that'll keep me awake. Just, just thinking about something. I love to think. So as I'm in my basement reading and studying the Word, it comes to me that I need to go and love my neighbor. So <clears throat> I'm compelled, regardless of my personality, to obey the Word of the Lord. And uh, he equips us, and he's opened doors, and he's, he's equipped us to be able to minister to our neighbors. So regardless of our personality, um, we, we've been called, as his disciples, to love our neighbors. All right, let's, uh, let's look into the Word. In the Catholic Church, I never knew exactly what they said, because it was always in French. I, I knew sort of what it was. But then I went to a funeral and they said it in English. And I was like, oh, that's what they're saying. Okay. When they read, you know, they actually do a, a number of interesting things. But when they, when they read, they'll, they'll read a passage. And then they'll say the word of the Lord. No, whoever reads it, say the word of the Lord. And then the congregation will, see, will say, thanks be to God. So that's what we're going to do. Not because we're Catholic, but because this is the word of the Lord and we're giving thanks to God. 
So let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. You know, Abraham, uh, back in Genesis 12, it's kind of the call of Abraham, and, and the Lord tells him that through him, the entire world, all peoples will be blessed. And that was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But now that works through us. God's mission is to bless the world through his son, but through us. Um, and so we want to be a blessing. That is our motivation. We carry on that same, uh, that same call. Matthew chapter 22, starting verse 35. says, um, one of them, so this is a Pharisee, an expert in the law, tested him, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The word of the Lord. You say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that he has given us his word. Mark chapter 12 also talks about this. Uh, And in Luke chapter 10, we encounter a similar version. And in Luke's version, we read about the Good Samaritan, which I'll touch on a bit uh, later as well. Just giving a brief context to this passage, the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't like Jesus very much. They were trying to test him, to trap him, and so they were asking him these questions that they figured would, would trip him up. Difficult questions in the law. Like, if the law is so important, okay, which is the greatest commandment? Figure that one out. And so he answers. And they're not being very neighborly to him. And so they say, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, like you're not doing to me right now. Right? And immediately, well, not immediately, he talks a little bit more. And then it says they didn't ask him any more questions. They're like, okay, we're going to leave this one alone. They were not being very neighborly in their intentions behind the question. There are a few observations, actually many, many observations as I was meditating on this and going through this. Um told the first service that I only had 34 points. You guys are lucky I added three more. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just four things I want to highlight here. And some of them are very basic. And so maybe it's just a reminder for us. First of all, this is a command. It's a command from the Lord to love our neighbor. He doesn't distinguish between commands and love. He actually puts them right together. The command is to love. So, I've sometimes had conversations with people who will, uh, they'll say, you know, I want you to really want to do this or else it doesn't feel like it's loving. Right? Then it doesn't really count. You you want to, I want you to want to do this. And I understand what they're saying. Um, So, for example, of course, uh, with my wife, I would want to be with her. You know, it shouldn't just be, okay, well, I'm obligated to be with my wife, and so I'll tolerate it. No, I should want to be with her, and that would be a loving thing to do. But sometimes um, we need to do something. The motivation is love. It doesn't mean we want to do what we have to do. 
But the motivation is still love. So we don't have to separate command from love. They can be one and the same thing as Jesus presents it here. Um, Just because, well, let's take Jesus for example. The night before he was crucified, he was in the garden asking for the cup to pass from him. He didn't necessarily want to go to the cross. But we know that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He did it anyway. It was his, that was his path, his role, his, his, his obedience to the Father was to go to the cross. And the motivation was love. So just because we're commanded to love, that doesn't take anything away from the reality of love. Still with this being a command, since it is a command, it's not based on how we feel. You might not feel like loving somebody, but that's not actually the point. Because we we are commanded to do it. So loving somebody isn't based on our personality. It's not based on our financial situation. It's not based on our status. It's not based on our culture. It's not even based on who our neighbors are. The instruction is, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And that's, that's what we've been called to do as believers in the Lord. It is a command. Secondly, loving our neighbor is intimately connected to loving God. In fact, loving God is most often manifested in how we love our neighbors. In uh, Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46... I won't read the passage, but I'll give you an idea of of, uh, what it's about. You can read it later. It talks about the end of the age. The king comes and he separates the sheep from the goats. And he says to the sheep, come and enjoy um, eternal happiness with me. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you came and helped me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And they said, well, wait wait a minute. When When were you all of these things? We don't, we don't remember that. He says, whatever you did to the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. And then he says to the goats, you didn't do this. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink, and so on. And they said, well, when were you the, those things? And he says, whatever you didn't do to the least of these brothers of mine, you didn't do to me. And they're sent off to eternal punishment. This is a picture of the end of the age and the focus here in terms of being with the Lord or eternally separated from the Lord is how did you love your neighbor in that passage. So loving our neighbor is intimately connected with loving God. And again, he says here in this passage that we read, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They, they are intimately connected you can't truly be fulfilling the first command if we're not fulfilling the second command. The third thing is the foundation of our love for our neighbors is the love of God. And there's a few things under this. First of all, the definition of love has to be God's definition of love. Love is one of those words that has been really messed up in our world in terms of what we understand it to be. Um, people's expectation of what it means, if you love them, and so on. And so it's, it's important for us, and I appreciate Myron sharing the importance of the word, because the only way we're going to really know how we ought to fulfill that command is by knowing this. 
not by taking the world's definition. If we take the world's definition of love, which there's probably a variety of them, and use that to try to fulfill the command, loving our neighbor as ourselves, there's a good possibility that we aren't actually really fulfilling that command because the definition of love according to the world may not, likely will not, line up with God's definition of what love is. So we need to know what he says about love. And I don't have the opportunity to get into that a whole lot. Uh, But two things I do want to mention. One is, the love of God has an eternal perspective. It is valuable for us to help people, to love people in their present situation. That's important, very important. Somebody is thirsty, you give them something to drink. If they're hungry, you feed them, so on, just like Jesus shared. But there is an eternal perspective. God's love always always has an eternal perspective. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. His love has an eternal perspective. And so when we love our neighbors, we do that with an eternal perspective. That's what we're called to do. The love of God isn't just focused on life here and now. And that's not to say, you know, you you should always be, um, you know, preaching at them. It's probably not always the wisest approach. But there will likely be opportunities as we intentionally engage with our neighbors where the doors will be open for us to say something, to proclaim the good news. Second thing I want to mention about God's love, and that through us, is that the love that we show to our neighbors comes from and it points to the Father. 1 John 4.8 tells us that God is love. And so it's his love through us that's working, and so it should be pointing to the Father. I believe everyone has a capacity to love, but unless we're in Christ, there is that lacking eternal perspective um, that needs to be there in order to fulfill this command. The fourth thing is that it can be difficult to love your neighbor. How many of you know that it can be difficult to love your neighbor? No hands, okay. Your neighbors come to this church too? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So let's look a little bit um, at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan just to give you a brief overview of how it goes. So in Luke... They're discussing the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's a religious leader who's trying to justify himself, it says. And so he asks Jesus, well, okay, who is my neighbor? So Jesus then shares the story of the Good Samaritan. Likely, this religious leader, because it says he was trying to justify himself, he wasn't expecting what Jesus said. He was likely hoping to hear or wanting to hear that his neighbor included fellow Israelites. When you look back in Leviticus, which is where Jesus quoted from, love your neighbor as yourself, that's an Old Testament passage, Leviticus chapter 19. When you look at that, um, a lot of it has to do with Israelite interactions with each other. Um, There is some, there's one one passage in there, or one verse in there, where it does say, 
uh, does refer to the alien and caring for the alien, leaving some of your crops so that they can come and take some as well. But other than that, for the most part, it's interactions among Israelites. And so likely this religious leader was expecting to hear, your neighbor is these Israelites. Just love them. Love them really well. Instead, Jesus shares the story of the Good Samaritan. And so the story goes, there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Robbers come along. They rob him. They beat him. They leave him for dead. And along comes a priest, sees him there, laying on the road. The priest goes by on the other side. Now, the priest was... He did important work. Worked at the temple. Levite comes along, sees him. The, the, the man who had been left for dead goes on the other side of the road. He, too, helped at the temple. All right? This is important work to be done. Samaritan comes along and sees the man, goes to him, helps him, bandages his wounds, um, takes him to a place where he'll be cared for, pays for him to be cared for, tells the person who's caring for him, this should be enough, but if it's not, when I come back, I'll pay the rest of it. Just to make sure this guy was looked after. Then Jesus asks the question of the religious leader. Who is the one that acted like a neighbor? And the man responds, the one who showed mercy. Okay, so two two things regarding who is our neighbor. First of all, it can include anyone we come across that is in need of mercy where we are able to provide it. In a broad way, that would include virtually everybody that we come across. Secondly, notice when Jesus says, who is the one who acted like a neighbor? The answer was the one who showed mercy, or the Samaritan. The question, you'll recall, was, who is my neighbor? The answer is actually the Samaritan, not the man on the ground. Although the man on the ground is also our neighbor, um, because Jesus says we'll go and instruct us to do that as well, to model the, the Samaritan. And of course, to be a neighbor, you have a neighbor. So the neighbor includes those that are on the ground, but the neighbor also includes the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the neighbor. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. That would, that would be, I mean, depending on, on different situations in the world, you have these conflicts going on, and it would be like Jesus sharing the, the story, the parable, in one of these conflict zones and using the opposing warring faction, an example of them as the Samaritan, right? It's like, oh, we hate these people. But no, the Samaritan was the Jew's neighbor. They needed to love the Samaritan as well. Not just the man on the ground, but the Samaritan as well. So that was difficult. That's difficult for us because Jesus is telling us, there's people that you don't like and you need to love them as yourself. Those are your neighbors. They are included in that definition. It's also difficult because it involves work. In Leviticus 19, again, the passage where Jesus gets the the verse from that he quotes, there's a lot of neighborly interaction laws that are, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And it appears like the priest and the Levite, neither of them actually broke any of those laws. 
But the final statement is to love your neighbor as yourself. And when we see how Jesus did that, he did that not just by avoiding neighbors. Okay, I didn't do anything wrong to my neighbor today, so I've been loving them. That's great. No, that's not how it works. He showed compassion. He had compassion. Loving our neighbor involves compassion. And it involves time. And it involves sacrifice. It is difficult. And loving our neighbor is not giving the Samaritan more money so he can find more people on the road to save. And then we've done our part. It's not to say that would be a bad idea. Um, giving to you know Samaritan's purse is probably okay. But um, loving our neighbor involves actual interaction. You, you, we all are called to interact with people. Uh, not to live that vicariously through somebody else. Supporting ministries is wonderful. We do that. Lots of them do great work. Um, but we also have a responsibility individually to love our neighbors. Okay, here are some practical ideas for loving your neighbor. The first one is to meet your neighbor. That's a good starting point. Some of you do a really good job of that. Maybe many of you do. Maybe all of you do. I'm not sure. Um, But meet your neighbor. Uh, I remember there was a new family that moved in. Saw them out on the street. I'm like, ah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to welcome them to Otterburn. Because who moves to Otterburn? We do, but... So I go to to the street. I'm like, hey, welcome to Otterburn. You know, they're like, oh yeah, I grew up here. And I know these people. And these people, okay, well, I guess I'm the newbie here. Um, So anyway, go out and meet your neighbors. Ask questions. Uh, again, if you don't know what to say, just ask some questions. Bring a gift if you don't. If you find it awkward to just go and meet your neighbor, an idea. You don't have to do this, but an idea could be, hey, you know, we're especially if you're new to the neighborhood. It's a great excuse. Hey, we're new to the neighborhood. Want to meet our neighbors? Here's some pie, or here's I don't know, whatever you whatever you make uh, or buy. We just buy cookies to give away. It's easier that way. A great way to keep track of your neighborhood or to kind of gauge your, your interactions with them, make a three-by-three three grid, like an X and O kind of thing. Put you in the middle. And then who is your neighbor on this side? Your neighbor on this side? This side, this side, this corner, this corner, that corner, this corner. And write their names down. Get to know their names. That's a good first step. And as you interact with them, again, you'll come across situations in life that will give you an opportunity to pray for them. It's a great tool to to remember names and to uh, use as a prayer list. Invite them over for a a campfire, a coffee, play date. Invite someone over for a meal. Scriptures are, um, when you read about meals in the scriptures, there's a a strong relational aspect to sharing a meal together. Um, The Last Supper, the Lord invites us to come to his table, and so on. Be intentional. Uh, and try to connect somewhat regularly. Again, this isn't this isn't just a one-time deal. Like, okay, I love my neighbor today. Check. I never have to do it again. That's that's not how this works. This is an ongoing thing. And develop a neighborly mindset. Part of this, I believe, is seeing yourself as strategically placed where you live. You know, you may have thought that was a nice house. That's why you bought it. You may have thought that's a cheap house. That's why you bought it. 
But the Lord has you there for a purpose. You're placed there strategically to be a blessing to those around you. And if we we go in with that mindset, I I think we can make a difference to our neighborhoods. How can you be a blessing? Here are some ideas. Maybe a block party, um, a community garden. Those involve a little more work, obviously. Random acts of kindness, uh, mowing their lawn, shoveling their driveway, community cleanup day, I don't know. We've had people mow our lawn several times. Some of them didn't realize it was our lawn. (laughs) And I was okay with that. Um, I was loving my neighbor at that point. (laughs) Bring them food. uh, Invite kids to play with yours. Kids are a great way to connect uh, with your neighborhood, if you have kids. Offering to help when they need help, um, or just something. It doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, Just simply loving your neighbor somehow. Lastly, the thing I want to close with is intercede for your neighbors. In the Old Testament, Genesis 18, three visitors come to Abraham. It's the Lord and two angels. And he tells, uh, the Lord tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom. Sodom was there beside Abraham. They were neighbors, basically. He could see the city from where he was. Excuse me. And what does he do? He intercedes. He says, okay, but what if there's 50 righteous there? Then, then will you... You know, I, I would ask that you don't destroy it if there's 50 writers. Okay, I won't. What about 45? No, okay, I won't. What about 40? No, I won't destroy it then if there's 40. What about 30? No, I won't destroy it. What about 20? No, I won't destroy it. Okay, Lord, one more. What about 10? Okay, I won't destroy it. Notice every time he asks, the Lord willingly says yes to his request. So my encouragement to you would be intercede for your neighbors. I believe the Lord wants to work through the prayers of his saints and through our interactions with our neighbors. And um, I believe we can, we can make a substantial difference in our neighborhoods as we um, take those steps to interact with them, get to know them, minister and bless them. You may have some neighbors that in their hearts are crying out, won't you be my neighbor? And we have an opportunity, strategically placed where we are, to be the neighbor that the Lord has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. You've planted us in the communities that we live, the neighborhoods that we live, the the areas that we live, even if we're in the country. Um, God, you've, you've placed us in these places to be a light. Lord, even the passage that, that Myron shared earlier, always being ready, give an answer for the hope that lies in us. Well, that involves interactions with people who see our our lives and and want to know what's going on. And Lord, I pray that you would um, give us creativity, ideas, um, and equip us with your spirit to love our neighbors the way that you've called us to love our neighbors. Thank you for the opportunities that lie before us. Lord, we want to make a... We want to be a part of your kingdom coming, however we we can fit into that role and your will being done here in our neighborhoods. In Jesus' name, amen.